was pioneering broadcast journalist Edward R. Murrow who said, We hardly need to be reminded that we are living in an age of confusion. A lot of us have traded in our beliefs for bitterness and cynicism, or for a heavy package of despair, or even a quivering portion of hysteria. Opinions can be picked up cheap in the marketplace, while such commodities as courage and fortitude and faith are in alarmingly short supply. Murrow remains one of legendary journalist Dan Rather's biggest heroes, and for good reason. Courage, fortitude, and faith are qualities that Dan Rather has and still carries with him to this day. In this special episode of Higher Journeys Radio, you'll get a sample of just what Murrow was speaking of and what Rather truly exemplifies. Politics, media, old and new, choices in how we get important information, and the responsibility of the news-consuming public to wield their ability to use logic, analysis, and discernment when it comes to rendering a verdict on the authenticity of any given headline. We discuss these critical issues and much more. So listen in now to this, my exclusive interview with Dan Rather. Courage, journalistic tenacity, wisdom, humility. There are few people who personify all of these qualities, but I happen to have one individual with me today who embodies these very characteristics and more. I'm talking about legendary journalist and former CBS Nightly News anchor, Mr. Dan Rather, and I'm honored to have him here with me today on our show. Dan, welcome. Thank you very much, Alexis, and I appreciate those kind words. I'm unworthy of them, but I do very much appreciate them, and it's great (laughs) to be with you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, listen, I have to say, there's a lot I'd like to cover here. We, we talked a few minutes offline. Uh, there's, the news is moving at a, at a fast pace, more than we can even imagine. But, uh, and, you know, I have to say, with all of your years of hard-hitting journalism, uh, we're going to talk about some of the stories perhaps, but you, you have covered the most important stories of the last half century, not to mention the JFK assassination, Watergate, civil rights movement, uh, it would be so tempting to spend our time going down memory lane on these history-making events, and you've given all of them stellar coverage. However, today, what I'd like us to focus on is the changing face of news media, the dynamics at play, and where you feel we're headed. Now, I want to ask you, if you were to juxtapose the culture of mainstream news, even just a decade or so ago, compared to where we are right now, how would you sum that up? Well, uh, the there's light years of difference between now and say, uh, even recently as five years ago, never mind 10 or 12 years ago. But, you know, uh, it's not just every day, but almost every nanosecond, mm. uh, the world is becoming increasingly more digital and more mobile. Uh, that, you know, I have in mind, it hasn't been that long ago that, you know, laptops made the, uh, rather, you know, sudden and awe-inspiring move past desktops. Uh, when we got to desktops, we thought, boy, this is really cutting edge technology, but laptops quickly overlap them, if you will, uh, as a computer of most people's choice. Uh, but pretty soon, uh, we're right at the edge of it now, where uh, if a device does not fit into your pocket, uh, then you're not going to be using it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, time, times always change. Uh, but the acceleration of the pace of change uh, in the digital world and uh, the more mobile way that people get their news uh, is is really uh, 
uh, awe-inspiring is all I can say. And I will say, as an 84-year-old person trying to mm. stay hip, uh, <laughs> it's not easy. I think you're doing a good job. We talked about that, too. You're doing a fabulous job. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah. Thank you. So, but, uh, you know, apropos your point, that, uh, that I, I do think, you know, it's important to keep in mind that there's a lot of talk about uh, winners and losers between so-called, quote, old media versus, you know, new media. Uh, I prefer the word traditional media versus new media. But nonetheless, uh, but, uh, that, you know, we're in the midst, we're still in the midst of a very fast-moving evolution uh, that's uh, far-reaching and, and uh, broad and deep. Uh, it's driven by technology. Uh, and the, the, the very niched online communities of, of today are in many ways driving that. Uh, the, the way most people consume news has shifted uh, dramatically, and even as we speak, is shifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, h- how we interact with the, the you know, new ways uh, in which media has changed uh, is, is key. And obviously, uh, those, including publications and cable and television and individuals, those that embrace the new digital landscape and do their best to keep up with the rapidly changing times, are the ones who are absolutely, uh, obviously going to benefit the most in the future, and that includes consumers, for example, within consumers, particularly news consumers, mm-hmm. uh, that, tho- that those who keep up uh, and do their best to keep up with the changing technologies and changing ways uh, that news is disseminated are going to benefit the most from it. Uh, that the difficulty, I think, for most people uh, is to prevent themselves from just throwing up their hands and saying, listen, I can't keep up with all the new electronics and the new gadgets and sort of give up. Uh, Anybody who takes that attitude is going to be very rapidly left behind Mm. in so many ways, including uh, the the quality of the news they get. That's an interesting. That's an interesting comment, Dan. You know, because the next question I was going to ask you. You know, you made this clear that uh, it will be those who benefit um, that those that are keeping up with the the changing face of technology are the ones that will benefit. So, so I don't know how you would answer this next question. But what I was going to say is, you know, we're living amid this twenty four hour news cycle disseminated through uh, the various technologies. Um, so we're getting this steady stream of information. Do you feel it's helping or hurting us, or a little bit of both? Well, I think it's uh, quite a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I am, as I think I expressed to you earlier when we were talking before we got uh, into the program, that I'm an optimist by nature and by, by experience. And uh, in this uh, new whole new digital world is changing so rapidly. Uh, there certainly are some negative aspects to it the downside to it, but I think the, the benefits, uh, and I'm, now I'm not just talking about news, the benefits in terms of uh, education, uh, understanding uh, one another better, to say nothing of culture better, I mean, in the medium and long range, I think it's overwhelmingly positive. Hmm. In, in, the short, in the shorter range, yes, there's some downsides, for example, the anonymity with which one can smear someone else's reputation, some, someone else's name, and do it with uh, almost assured anonymity uh, is, you know, 
was obviously a problem and one we are still you know, coping with. But as I come back to what I call the base camp, and the base camp is this is the new reality. Now, mm-hmm. you mentioned with news that the 24-hour news cycle, we actually, the, 20, the phrase 24-hour news cycle, I think now is, is outdated. There's, mm-hmm. a, you know, there's literally a deadline every nanosecond. Mm-hmm. And we talk, we talk about news cycles that sometimes last only an hour, hour and a half before the cycle changes. Hmm. Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, it's it's certainly moving at, a, at an incredible pace. Um, but I, I, I think that, I think m- my feeling is that information is great, uh, but I think discernment as well in, in how we uh, process, how we distill this information is also equally important. And this was an, another question I wanted to ask you, Dan, with the uh, as it relates to mainstream news particularly, how do you think the stories that we're hearing, and there are a lot of them, you know, I have, we had a saying in the business that said, that if it bleeds, it leads. And, and I say, it seems right now that if uh, it doesn't bleed, it barely makes the cut. I mean, let's face it, a lot of these stories are just heinous, although there's some good I ones like as well. <laughs> if it, I, I like that phrase. I like that phrase, that if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't make the cut. I came up it, with it, that. In Florida context, is, there's so much in this. You know, I, I find myself excited to discuss it, and I'm mm. really thankful for the opportunity to discuss it with you because there's so much. For example, there's a greater burden on news consumers just to pick one part of the new digital revolution. Mm-hmm. For, for a news consumer, uh, the burden is greater now to to find uh, places, platforms, if you will, uh, that they, that the consumer can depend on. They, that uh, the metaphor has been overworked a bit, but in terms of news, now we you were sort of each of us individual. We're at the end of a fire hose. Things so much comes at you so rapidly absolutely the question is well you know how do i make sense of this how do i get the news that i need and want and it, it's there uh there's there's never been a time when there's more quality news uh, to be had than there is today but the difficulty is to sort out those uh, places uh that specialize in uh, and make a habit of quality news from all the other uh, that's coming at you at the time. So, it, you know, that's number one. It requires uh, more thought, uh, more work, and in some ways more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was time not long ago you just pick up the newspaper and start thumbing through the newspaper. Well, now uh, it's not it's not nearly that simple. Uh, but the second thing I think is to understand that there's never been a time when in a society such as ours, a country such as ours, a constitutional de- democracy, a constitutional republic built on the principles of democracy and freedom, uh, which depends on in, uh, informed citizenry, each individual citizen informed. So there's never been, been a time when we need uh, skepticism as much as we do today. Now, I want to be very clear not cynicism, mm-hmm. never cynicism, mm-hmm. but skepticism. Right. Skepticism being, you know, well, okay, this is what this site is telling me. This is what they're saying. Let me check out other sites that uh, that I have learned to depend on and see, uh, be skeptical. Mm-hmm. Uh, be skeptical mm-hmm. of what politicians say, of course, and for that matter, be skeptical of what various news sources say. 
And, you know, a lifetime of news has taught me, and it's never more useful than it is today, to keep in mind that frequently the first things you hear, let's say on a big breaking news story, the first things you hear, many of them are going to prove to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And Agreed. so that's the, kind, that's the kind of skepticism I'm uh, suggesting. You know, you, you, you get an alert on your device and it comes up certainly breaking news, you know, so-and-so is dead. Well, don't automatically assume that because it's up and labeled breaking news that it's true. Because I repeat for emphasis, so often the first things you hear are wrong. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. I think what you're talking about, Dan, is the lost art of logic and analysis. I've talked a lot about this. You know, people, we're, we're getting lots of sound bites these days, lots of headlines, and as you said, with the devices, the breaking news, one-liners, making a very emphatic statement that, unfortunately, I think a, a lot of people still, because the int- attention spans have shrunken so much, they don't bother to read the story, let alone uh, analyze what it is they're, what they're taking in. So I agree with you. We're, again, talking about discernment and juxtaposing one headline with another or one story with another and meeting out the truth. So I appreciate your, your saying that. I think that's very powerful. Well, you know, again, and I don't want to focus too, too much on the, the bleeds. If it, if it bleeds, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't make the cut. But in regard to, again, the onslaught of the, the bad news that we're getting, how do you think it's affecting the Americans, uh, the public's psyche, their disposition? Well, unfortunately, uh, it's a very good question, and obviously a broad question and a deep question. Uh, And when you talk about the psyche of an individual, much less the psyche of a nation, uh, one wants to be a little careful. But I do think that if we aren't careful, uh, that the public psyche will become more cynical. Having mentioned before, it's absolutely imperative that we not become a cynical person, we not become uh, a cynical people. Uh, skepticism, yes, cynicism, no. But in answer to your question, I fear uh, that cynicism is growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, cynicism about the government, cynicism about uh, uh, news sources, uh, that and I consider this a real and present danger. Uh, that cynicism sometimes it can spread like mildew in a damp basement. Mm. That it just gets loose, and you know if we aren't careful, uh, both as individuals and as people, we will develop that sense that says, "Well, you can't believe anything you read or hear," and so therefore just dismiss it all. Uh, and that way, both again, you know, as as individuals and as a nation, we know the perils of doing that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, that's fair. I think I was referring more to just again the, um, and we're speaking again of cynicism versus skepticism, but in terms of the emotional um, ramifications when you hear a story, this affects you emotionally. Look at how 9-11 affected us emotionally. There are people that are still trying to get through that. That's, that's really the, the sense, the, the spirit in which I brought up that, that point. Well, it's a very strong point, that, that, uh, and particularly how emotions affect to think, that if you can use a takeoff point, when, when one feels one's emotions beginning to 
overtake you, uh, I think it's most important to you know bring to recognize what has happened, uh, to try to arrest it as best you can, and you know adopt critical thinking, mm-hmm. uh, critical thinking about about what's going on with, within yourself. You know why why am I feeling this way, and and what are the dangers of my feeling this way? Uh, that you know. Emotions are always a very strong undertow with every person, and they're you know they're very important to us. But like as with so many things, uh, you have to be intelligent about recognizing what is happening within yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, being in touch with one's one's emotions, I suppose, and acknowledging I'm not feeling good about this. And I don't know, maybe sometimes that means if if, if we're being overly burdened through these stories that maybe we need to, as I say, take a news diet every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the phrase news diet. I, I didn't I come like up with that. that one. I didn't come up with that one. I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you're decent to give credit elsewhere, but I do uh, do like the phrase, uh, and to use it metaphorically, uh, that we all know, you know, it's, it's wonderful to enjoy good food, uh, but there's always a danger in overdoing it. That's right. It, there's also, one needs to be selective about what one eats. Uh, and same with the news diet. Uh, I don't want to stretch this too far, but I like, I like the phrase a lot. <laughs> and when it comes to news, one could do worse than laying out a diet for oneself of saying, look, I, to get things done today and to do the important things like uh, hugging someone I love and uh, being in touch with my friends, uh, I don't need to be in touch every half second with whatever news is on my uh, electronic gadget. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe check it, you know, 10, 2, and 4 during the day. But, you know, give yourself a diet. Uh, I'm a bad one to talk about that because, you know, I'm, I'm addicted to news and covering news and long have been. And I recognize that it is virtually a, an addiction with me that, you know, it's not unusual for me to wake up in the middle of the night uh, and say, well, I, I'm going ch- to check and see what the news is. Really? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it happens, happens all the time. happened last night. Well, I can, I can imagine you know, why. We're going to get into that. Sure. <laughs> well, let, let, me, let me ask you, Dan, what is your refuge when you, when, in those moments where you, you feel like, I got to do something else just for a little while? What, what is that? What do you enjoy doing? Well, in no particular order, I en- I enjoy just sort of shutting down and taking myself off someplace where I can absorb silence. Mm, beautiful. And just sit, just sit uh, in the most remote place I can get. In the case of you know an office environment, sometimes you just have to find a corner, and it's what I call listening to the silence. Mm. Uh, that's one thing. Another is uh, to take a walk, literally take a walk. Uh, I prefer to walk in nature, but uh, you know the nature of my work is that I live and work in Manhattan, a, a concrete and steel jungle. Mm. Um, so there's a rare opportunity to walk in nature, but I'd say that you'll take a walk. Uh, another, uh, in answer to your question, is uh, to talk uh, talk to my wife. Uh, Jean and I have been together for a long time, a very long time, and know each other well. Beautiful. And if I if, if I need to get centered, 
if uh, you know the whole world seems to be going to hell in a hack around me, and I find just all kinds of things swirling typhoon fashion through my head, uh, if I can reach Gene uh, in person, preferably, but even by telephone, and just say, "Look, I, I, I need a gut check here for just a few minutes, honey." Uh, that's another way, and I have a very good relationship with my children. I have two grown children, a daughter and a son, mm-hmm. and uh, the same thing applies if I can reach them and just say, Look, nothing, nothing big here, I just need to get myself centered, so let's talk for 65 seconds, and uh, that'll help me. Love it. Those are all powerful things. I say the simpler things, the more subtle or simple, the more powerful, particularly the walk, uh, not so much in the concrete jungle, but in nature. I'm a gardener, actually, and that's sort of my little refuge where I I go in silence, uh, whether I'm pulling weeds or just sitting in the garden. So that's absolutely beautiful, beautiful. Let's go from the beautiful uh, (laughs) merits of silence in nature to, uh, I want to segue into something that's not so beautiful. Um, well, I should say the Facebook essay that you wrote was was powerful, but the situation that we might be getting into is not so beautiful. Uh, I believe it was June 1st, Dan, that you made a, a Facebook uh, essay, really. And by the way, folks, you have to go to, to Dan's uh, Facebook page. It is just chock full of, in his, the way he can only do it, uh, beautiful news reporting. But this has to do with uh, Don, a comment that you had made about uh, Donald Trump's complete, and I'm going to quote you, fusillade against the press. You said, you also said, this is not a moment to be trifled with. It wasn't his first tirade, and it won't be his last. And this will obviously is part of a much longer post. But for our audience, will you elaborate on where that point was coming from, for those that didn't hear about what you were referring to? Well, first of all, thank you for noticing the Facebook post. What I was referring to is that um, uh, Donald Trump, and more about him if you like in a moment, mm. but there was a situation which was a public appearance by him, and I think it was a news conference, I'm pretty sure it was a news conference, in which uh, reporters were uh, doing their job, which is uh, they were asking him uh, what he considered to be tough, probing questions about such things as uh, his this Donald Trump University, the school that he ran uh, and, and made money from a while, and uh, question of, of how much he had actually given. He talked earlier about giving money to uh, veterans' charities. The reporters were asking you know, questions, and, and he took offense of their asking the questions and began to ridicule the reporters. Uh, in one case, referring to how someone physically looked and saying, you know, something nasty about it. Now, whatever one thinks of Donald Trump and his policies and whether you're for or against him or have a made your mind with it, for a presidential candidate, this is unacceptable behavior. Uh, And if it needs to be stated, and I think for most Americans it doesn't need to be stated, look, a a free and independent fighting independent when necessary press is the red beating heart of freedom and democracy. Our whole system is built on, and we, we've known this since civics class, no later than seventh grade, but the whole idea that a responsible press in a society such as ours is supposed to question power. That's part of the 
the balance of powers in our whole system. Mm-hmm. And for, for Mr. Trump or anyone else, uh, as a as a presidential candidate, in his case now the presumptive nominee of his party, mm-hmm. to engage in, in this kind of personal uh, attack and assault on individual reporters, as well as the press as a whole, is simply unacceptable. Now, since then, one can say the same thing about you know attacking individual judges uh, because of their uh, ethnicity. Yeah. Uh, I know you're aware of the story that he attacked a judge because the judge was of Mexican heritage. Yes. Mind yes. you, the judge was born born and raised in the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's the point, and I don't mean to rant on this, but I do think this is not to be taken lightly, uh, that we rightly expect, we the people, rightly expect uh, candidates for president uh, to operate at, at at least a minimum level of civility, decency, and respect for the national institutions. Mm-hmm. In the cases that I've just mentioned, uh, candidate Trump has not done that. Now, I recognize that somebody feeling that, that listening to this would say, oh, well, you know, this is a, quote, left-wing, Bolshevik bomb train, rather. Uh, look, I make mistakes, and uh, nobody can do journalism perfectly. And I'm responsible for mistakes. But so often what happens with journalists, and I include myself in this, is that we cower. Uh, that somebody, you know, you want to ask a tough question, and but you say to yourself, if I ask that question, and particularly if I ask the tough follow-up question, then the person in power is going to make me pay a price for that. Mm-hmm. And so you double-clutch and you don't ask the question. So uh, I confess and I apologize. Long-winded answer. No, that's fine. But that's what that that's what prompted me to make that post. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, I, I lament the fact that so much of the campaign so far has been at such a low level. Yeah. I mean, here we are talking about how a candidate tries to insult individual members of the press or someone on the judiciary. What we should be talking about is that. In at least one case, a candidate has proposed, uh, we don't need NATO anymore, the North American Treaty Organization, uh, and or we need to encourage Japan to uh, uh, develop and have its own nuclear weapons. I mean, these are the sorts of issues, the substance that we should be having discussed with the candidates and that we, the people, should be discussing. But unfortunately, that has not happened, and I can't be optimistic about it happening going forward. Well, I concur wholeheartedly. And, you know, my next thing, the point, and I, the point I want to make about what's going on here, I mean, look, uh, these campaign cycles seem to be getting more, uh, I would call them bizarre and anomalous <laughs> by the by the cycle. This is probably the most bizarre and, frankly, anomalous presidential election I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like this. And you're right. You know, a, more and more emphasis being placed on name calling and backbiting, and less on the issues that the people uh, need to be hearing about. Um, so bizarre, anomalous. Wouldn't you agree? Where do we go from here? Well, I do agree. Uh, where I hope we go from here is one thing, but where we're going from here it may be quite another. But I, I do think that you know we get to choose. That is, we. You know, individual citizens get to choose. 
And there is a tendency to blame what is happening, uh, you know, on the candidates or on this candidate or that candidate, or blame it on the press, or blame it on a quota rigged system. Uh, but the old Shakespeare line of, you know, uh, uh, the fault, dear Brutus, is uh, not in the stars, it's in ourselves. Mm. And with what's happened to these, uh, Ed Murrow used that line any number of times uh, in situations similar to that, which used to say uh, that we can make a difference. And again, I don't want to preach you about this, but it's a fact. In a, in a system such as ours, we the people get to make uh, make a difference. And in many ways, we get the level of campaign uh, that that we desire. And as long as people get titillated by the horse race aspects or get intrigued by the you know low road sensationalism that candidates take, as long as we're consumers of that and we acquiesce in consuming of that, that's what we're going to get. If we want a higher level presidential campaign, we can demand that, yeah. and if we get together and, and insist on that, that's what we'll get. Now, in the here and now, uh, we, we now have two presumed nominees in um, uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Uh, between now and the conventions, uh, this happens every presidential election year, uh, we reach kind of what someone recently called the doldrums, which is, okay, the, the primaries and caucuses are over, the next big climatic events are the nominating conventions. And in that period, this period now, sort of early to mid-June to late July, is a period where I, the tone of the campaign the rest of the way would be established. Mm -hmm. right, now the, right now the outlook is, as we've said before, the outlook is for it to be very nasty. But if there, if there are enough people in the public that say enough, I don't want to hear any more about uh, you know, accusations about judges and, and, and insults hurled at reporters. I want to hear about real substance. Is it a good idea to pull out of NATO? Is it a good idea to provide nuclear weapons for Japan? Uh, how do we address the increasing inequality of economic opportunity in the country? Those are the kinds of things that should be discussed. And I, I, I could say, well, that's my opinion, but I know that's a widely shared opinion. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm pausing there because this, you're right. The onus is, and I think, frankly, Dan always has been on the American public uh, as part of this democracy to demand uh, substance, uh, not only in the the promises, but in the follow through. And that's a whole nother issue. You know, uh, I mean, even even uh, those that campaigns that did focus and the candidates that did focus on on issues and they're not following through on them, you know, but at least at this juncture, you're right. The American public needs to say, look, I'm tired of all of this. What vehicle do you think we, we might use to do that if that were to be done? Is this something that social media could could be leveraged to do for the American people? Absolutely. To I was just going to say in the new age. Uh, the fastest and the greatest leverage would be on social media. Mm -hmm. An example would be uh, that all too often, there are notable exceptions to this, but all too often a candidate is uh, invited to come on a, a television uh, you know, news program and uh, to play patty cake with the interviewer. <laughs> uh, that the interviewer wants access to the candidate 
and there's an unwritten compact, okay, the candidate will come on your program, but you're not to ask any tough questions, and heaven knows mm-hmm. not to follow up with any tough questions. And so time after time, what you have is uh, an interview, which is kind of a version of patty cake. Now, if enough people get on social media and say, this is ridiculous, uh, there was no substance in this interview, uh, it was more a campaign commercial for the politician, mm-hmm. uh, that has power. Uh, and it, 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 in the case of social media, it has immediate power. Unlike you know, sending a letter or, or even an, an email uh, to institutions to get on social media and say, "Listen, I saw this interview uh, on X network, or I saw it elsewhere on the internet, and this is ridiculous. No question of substance was asked, and no question of substance was answered." Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the public vastly underestimates their ability to get the kind of coverage that they want. I want everyone to hear that loud and clear, people. You know, um, I, I, I hate to to think that we are in such a state of apathy that, or, or feeling already that we don't count, <laughs> that we wouldn't make a move like that. But just with the, the you know, few keystrokes making a powerful statement like that, I, I think I, I hear another Facebook post from you coming. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I think that's a fabulous idea, and it's very it's very easy to do. So, yeah. Oh, boy. How This is such a multidimensional, is the word I'd like to use, situation. Not all bad. I think that uh, within the madness, there's magic, I like to say. So maybe something, there's, there's got to be a silver lining to this. There, there has to be. But I do think that that silver lining will be based on our action, not inaction. So very good. Very good. Well, listen, let's transition a little bit. Uh, we've got about, oh, 20 minutes or so left. And I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention your wonderful show called The Big Interview on Access TV. And I'm so mad because I did not get a chance to see your recent Legends Lost episode. I believe that aired yesterday, June 7th, because we don't get Access TV. I may be able to get my hands on a copy. But tell us about The Big Interview and then tell us about uh, the beautiful tribute you, you did to The Legends Lost well, uh, first of all, uh, this is a special program. I do a, a, a series of programs called The Big Interview, mm-hmm. in which we try to do uh, in-depth interviews uh, lasting a, 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 an hour, try to make them what we call legacy interviews with the subjects with whom we speak. Uh, this particular program called Legends Lost uh, takes the, the takeoff point of it is that over the last six to 12 months, we've lost some of the biggest uh, names in uh, entertainment, B.B. Uh, King, mm-hmm. Prince, uh, Natalie Cole, uh, Merrill Haggard, David Boy. Uh, so uh, the takeoff point for this particular special program is uh, to do a one-hour program in which we more or less summarize who they were defining moments, and we think we have some things that haven't been heard elsewhere from Prince, for example. What was Prince like when he was seven or eight, nine, ten years old, that kind of material? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 it does play on Access TV, that's A-X-S-TV, which is a cable and satellite uh, 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 network. It, unfortunately, is not available everywhere, but you can get it up, and also the program... Um, will be available on YouTube. 
So I appreciate you mentioning it. I don't want to be overly promotional here. No, I yeah. Well, you know, I saw some of the clips that you posted on your Facebook page. (laughs) When I say this man is engaged in social media, I'm not kidding. So I was able to to get a sneak peek of uh, Legends Lost, and so you're saying that it will be available in its entirety on YouTube. Yes. Oh, fantastic! Uh, Not immediately. Right, right now it's available. Uh, on Access TV, it, it mm-hmm. plays again tonight at seven o'clock. It'll be repeated, okay. uh, you know, on the satellite and uh, cable channels. But uh, as soon as possible, it'll also be on YouTube. Oh, I'm happy. Yeah, one of the things that missed me about this: that so often we see these people who who develop uh, big names because of uh, of their immense talent. Uh, but what I've found in interviewing these people over the years, uh, these people being uh, us all big name celebrities, if you will, uh, that almost without exception, uh, those who've been on top, made it to the top for whatever reason, and particularly those who managed to stay on top, tend to be fairly broad and deep people who have a lot of interests outside their own sphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, some of the best of them have learned the hard way that they have to be good business people. And some of the best business people in the country are, you know, people who've made it very big in a concert and a record or a movie business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. The, the, again, I use the term multidimensional aspect of, of these individuals. They're uh, rising stars for a reason because I think that they, they, they found an affinity to so many different things. And I think they pour all of that or have poured all of that into what you see as an end result. So... For sure, for sure. Well, you know, kind of in staying in, in the uh, on the topic of losing legends, uh, just within the last month or so, we've lost three legendary figures in their respective fields, including your longtime colleague, Morley Safer. Of course, the tragic loss of Prince, uh, which you have written about uh, post his death and uh, also covered in uh, this phenomenal special edition of The Big Interview. And most recently, we lost Muhammad Ali, and that's a big one as well. Now, as far as Prince is concerned, Dan, I know you have commented on his loss and the most recent announcement of his cause of death, which was apparently an opioid overdose. What are your thoughts there in terms of this epidemic? Another just uh, perplexing phenomenon. Well, perplexing is a, is a very good word for it. Uh, number one, this is not an area in which I have any special expertise. Uh, but the following thoughts do occur to me. Uh, and this happens from time to time and fairly often, that uh, this is a, a, a national problem. And it develops, to use the cliche, so often, and it did in this particular case, these opiates, it develops below the, the radar. The public large is, is barely aware, if they are aware at all, uh, that a problem is growing. And it's only when it sort of explodes uh, in terms of exposure with something like Prince's death, that so many people say, "Gosh, I never, I never heard of that," or, "Well, I never realized the use of it is as widespread uh, as it is." Uh, I, I did not know uh, Prince well. I'm sorry to say. In fact, I barely knew him at all. I met him one time uh, at his home uh, uh, outside St. Paul in Minneapolis, and uh, you know. It, at that time, this was this goes all the way back to the 1980s. Uh, at that time, what struck me is 
how much pressure he seemed to place on himself. I mm-hmm. uh, committed committed to excellence and if not indeed perfection. And it, you know, I think he'd been in the room at that time as I was. He would have had the same impression. I'd just say, gosh, I hope he can ease up someone himself, and I hope he can take himself off someplace for a walk or whatever. Uh, but that was my impression at the time. But back to your main point, uh, that you know, among the things uh, I would like to hear presidential can- candidates addressing is what do you know? What do we do about uh, problems such as this? That the the use of, of these kinds of, of drugs, these kind of opiates, is very widespread. As you may know, the use of heroin has mm. also just exploded yeah. all, all over the country. Now, I don't recall a single time during the, the primary and caucus election campaign in which a single candidate even mentioned this, much less, and I'm pretty sure about this, I'm correct, nobody but nobody sought to talk about it in anything approaching depth of saying this is what as president recognizing that i can't wave a magic wand as president and solve the problem but this is what i was just doing about the continuing to spread metastasized fashion Mm -hmm. uh these these problems with uh really uh lethal narcotics doesn't get discussed in the presidential campaign it doesn't. It doesn't. A lot of the things that need to be discussed aren't being discussed. And again, I'm afraid, Dan, that because so many people tend to follow the course of uh, or have a consensus about what is being talked about, rather than talk, talking about this very real crisis, perhaps they're talking about the rant between the now two candidates. You know, again, this is just it's very disturbing. And we have to reiterate to our audience and to the wider world, speak out about it let them know. Or, you know, maybe you're not aware of these things yourself because you're not hearing them talk about it. So thank you for well, that. Well, and then there, are those, yeah, then there are those things that of which we are aware mm-hmm. and almost everybody's aware, but everybody's afraid to talk about. Mm. Uh, an example would be uh, the continuing challenges of race relations in the country. Yeah. Again, it, it's almost like it's a, a no-comment zone uh, for candidates to talk about, listen, we we continue to have deep and abiding problems with race relations. Yes, you can make the arguments, the valid argument, we've, we've come a long way, but there's still a very long way to go. Mm-hmm. Now, other than sort of uh, obliquely referring to it for political advantage, a substantive discussion among uh Let's take, for example, presidential candidates. A substantive discussion about, let's be honest, what are the manifestations of the worst of the, of the race relations problems in the country, and what are some suggested uh, remedies? Uh, each candidate saying, this is how I would approach the problem, this is how I would attempt to deal with it, this is what I would suggest that nobody but nobody wants to talk in real substantive terms about race relations in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's appalling, and somebody needs to say it, it's absolutely appalling uh, to hear analysis on television, which you can hear from time to time, an analysis, for example, that the Trump campaign intends to win the presidency by making 
overt and covert appeals to quote the white vote to get more of the you know, analysis of the Trump campaign is uh, that they intend to get the percentage of white voters more to the polls than Romney did the last time and win that way. Well, that kind of thing is discussed on television. The horse race aspects of right. the race of the presidential campaign and how race plays into that gets discussed. But back to the point, the deep and abiding problems of race relations uh, in their complexity and in real substance never gets discussed. Right. Agreed. I can't recall the last time they did. The civil rights movement, perhaps? Not being facetious. Well, even do, even during the civil rights movement, uh, as one who is old enough to have been alive and covered the civil rights I movement, mm-hmm. somewhat better during that period uh, because there was the issue was forced by a candidate such as the late Governor George Wallace of Alabama, who ran an openly racist campaign and a proudly racist campaign. Uh, but even during that period, uh, there was a real effort to avoid any substantive discussion of, of, of what should be done to, to improve race relations. And I come back to the point, because I think it's important, Alexis, that so many people say, gosh, you know, why is Dan rather anybody talking about race? We had the civil rights movement. We have a, a president of the United States uh, of African uh, American heritage. Uh, we're well past that. Well, the answer, of course, is uh, yes, we have made some progress, but we're nowhere near past it. That it, it, it remains one of the deepest and most abiding problems in the society. Agreed. Agreed. We've got some big issues to to chomp on here. So again, folks, open and honest discussion amongst each other to your political leaders. Let them know what you want to have discussed. And heck, if they decide they're just not going to, I suppose we'll have to take our future into our own hands and start that healing process ourselves because we have a lot to heal from, for sure, for sure. Okay, well, let's move on a little bit. Thank you for that. Always substantive comments from you, Dan. So much appreciated. Well, let's again talk about how you have plugged in, plugged in to the wonderful world of non-traditional and on-demand media with your own outlet. I love it. Newsandgutsmedia.com, which I would say is a wonderful repository of current and future projects that you're working on. And folks, I want to tell you, this website is just beautiful. It is eye candy. (laughs) It's fantastic. But equally so with your content. Beautiful. Uh, Tell us about it. Newsandgutsmedia.com. Well, uh, when I uh, left CBS News, uh, getting to be a decade ago now, uh, slightly more than 10 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, I had no idea what I would do. Uh, it was my expectation that I'd finish my professional life at CBS News, where I had been for 44 years. Uh, I had no idea what I was going to do. And uh, Mark Cuban, who's an entrepreneur, uh, based in Dallas, best known for owning the Dallas Mavericks basketball team, mm-hmm. approached me uh, and said, what do you want to do? And I told him, well, you know, my ideal job would be to uh, specialize in investigative reporting and high-quality uh, international reporting, what used to be called foreign reporting, and cover politics. And uh, so basically he said, well, 
you know, I'll be I'll be happy to to make a contract with you to produce a program along those lines uh, for my new at that time new network. The network was known as HD Net High Definition mm-hmm. uh, TV at the time. The name later changed to Access. So in order to do that, uh, I formed my own company, which I call News and Guts, uh, and it started that way by providing a one-hour weekly news program for what is now Access TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, and this is new for me, keep in mind that uh, I'm a lifetime reporter, and what I knew about running a business could be written on the stomach of a germ. I knew basically nothing about business, but set up my own business using Dutch media to uh, provide this program for uh, Mark Cuban's television network and to get get myself up, up to speed as best I could on uh, new media, mm-hmm. uh, new ways of doing news, and that has led to, uh, you know, I now, uh, look, I'm not on the cutting edge of things, but I do Facebook and Twitter trying to get my uh, Instagram <laughs> operation up to speed uh, and trying to develop uh, uh, new programs, uh, programs both for radio and television, but also for platforms like podcasting, uh, blogging of all kinds. And, uh, you know, sometimes what we've tried has worked. For example, we had a contract for a while with the Internet site called Mashable, Mm -hmm. in which uh, we agreed to experiment about whether we could expand their coverage of, of hard news. And I'm talking about hard period, real period news, period. Uh, but for various reasons, that didn't work out. The point is that, you know, I, uh, I get up every morning, I can hardly wait to get to work. Love it. Uh, because we're, we're experimenting with a lot of things. Our, our most successful efforts so far have been, one, what we've done for Access TV, which is now the big interview, which is a, virtually a weekly program of big interviews. Uh, number two, uh, Facebook, which, uh, frankly, we made some mistakes in the beginning, got off to a slow start, but I'm happy to report that our Facebook page is now doing, by our standards, doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how much time to, to spend with uh, Twitter. Uh, <laughs> that it, it, it takes time, and frankly, I don't like to do tweets that, I don't do myself. I mean, I don't want to subcontract it out. Right. This is not a new problem, but I struggle with that problem because, you know, I I want it to be authentic. If I send out a tweet, I want it to come from me. I don't want it to come from somebody I've hired to to do it, if you will. Sometimes that's necessary if I'm off covering the story. But at any rate, I rattle on here. This is what I'm into, and I'm I'm very excited about it. It's probably true that I excite easily, but I'm... (laughs) I'm very excited about the new ways of, of reaching new audiences with what I like to call quality news of integrity. Mm-hmm. Look, I have no illusions. Not everything I do is high quality, although it's always my goal. Well, I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to vehemently disagree on two points. Yes, I think you are cutting edge. 
beyond cutting edge. I've done a lot of research here on the new Dan Rather. <laughs> you really got it slayed. I'm not kidding you. And I was saying to our, our friend Lori Nadell uh, earlier today, Dan has really got this thing covered. Uh, so please g- give yourself a little pat on the back. And I just think you're, you know, I think you're covering it beautifully and bringing integrity, most importantly. Look, I mean, with this advent, again, of uh, citizen journalism, and everyone's a journalist now. No, they're not. (laughs) This is a talent. Um, Sure, I think everyone should have a voice, but you are uh, making sure the integrity of journalism stays, uh, uh, you know, ubiquitous through you, uh, throughout these these new platforms. Well, let me just say, I, you're a busy man, I have to say. Yeah, I'm going to mention a couple more projects that you were involved in, a, a wonderful project, a documentary short called Courage Under Fire, along with our mutual colleague and friend, Dr. Lori Nadell, and a new ebook called Lessons from the Field, Everything I Learned About Life I Learned from Reporting. And I have to say, all of this you are doing to support a fantastic project called Mind Body Network, of which Lori is deeply involved. In fact, Dan, let's hear from Lori herself. She has a little message for you. So let's listen into this. Hey, Dan. Uh, good morning or good afternoon. Uh, just wanted to let you know that uh, as I was speaking to Alexis, uh, I was aware of how important this uh, film and this uh, ebook, Lessons from the Field, uh, has been to, to me and to Tori and everyone at Mind Body Network. Uh, we deeply appreciate, and I'm personally very, very appreciative of the opportunity to be able to work with you. And uh, we're very happy that the project is moving forward and it's being so well received because your words have so much significance in these troubling times. Well, there you have it from our friend Laurie. Well, isn't that sweet of her? Isn't that sweet of her? I I do, uh, I fear that perhaps your audience may be lost here, but Dr. Laurie Nodell is an old friend of mine and also an old uh, She's not old. She's still very young. But uh, she, she she worked at CBS News, a first-class reporter, a real uh, a professional journalist, uh, who now uh, has made herself into uh, a doctorate of psychology. She has a Ph.D., and uh, she is so smart, she, she makes your head hurt. Uh, and it's, she's uh, been, I've been involved with it in two projects that you mentioned. One is this film called Courage Under Fire, which I'm not sure of. that was her title, not mine. And the other is the, the Lessons from the Field, you know, what I've learned in a lifetime of reporting, which is an e-book, which, by the way, this is the first e-book that I've done. I have done other, let's call them traditional books, uh, you know, over the years. And uh, that, too, is a, a whole new Rather exciting experience for me uh, that the world of ebooks is uh, light years apart from uh, the book business as we knew it for so long. Agreed. I keep hearing that word, cutting edge. Don't you dare ever say that you're not cutting edge when it comes to that. <laughs> <laughs> Bless your heart. Well, oh, listen. Well, I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> listen, this I has all, been such a pleasure to talk to you. Today. Oh, likewise. And, and it's just, I hope we get to do it again, for sure. I want to add a little tidbit. This is so important and just really underscores the grace that you embody. I'd like to add all the proceeds from your ebook are going to be donated or are being donated to the Committee 
uh, to protect journalists, which is a nonprofit organization that helps journalists around the world. So I'm asking everyone, please support that. Of course, we're going to have all the, the goodies of the cutting edge, Dan Rather, information linked up, <laughs> both on Conscious Life News and HigherJourneys.com. So you will have all the links uh, to, to stay in step with him. So, Mr. Dan Rather, you've not only stayed relevant, as far as I'm concerned, you are necessary now more than ever. I thank you so much for sharing your insight and your wisdom with us today. Alexis, thank you very, very much. And uh, I wish you good luck, Godspeed. And uh, if you need bail money, call me. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> oh, dear heart. Thank you so much. Take care now. Thank you, Alexis. Take care. Don't just take a headline and run with it. Don't just absorb the news story without questioning it. Most importantly, engage your power and your voice to affect change at every level. Dan Rather is a fierce advocate for freedom, for democracy, and for our own ability to change the landscape from that which is to that which could be. It's all in our hands. I think we can all agree that we are indeed living in exciting, though trying times. And yet, if we don't try to shift the paradigm, how will we ever know what change is actually attainable? I want to send a special note of thanks to all who made this interview with Dan Rather possible, particularly the team at News and Guts Media, to Dr. Lori Nadell, and our friends at Mind Body Network. We at Higher Journeys appreciate all that you do. And to our audience, as always, we thank you for tuning in to Higher Journeys Radio. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.